Hey, yo, what's up, everybody? My name is Kenneth Scott. I'm kicking it with the people at Old Ute Radio. Hope you're having a good time. Hi, this is Tom Hackett. You're listening to Three Semi-Old Farts on Old Ute Radio. Welcome back to All You Radio. I'm Johnny McKeon. With me in studio, as always, Sasha Bloom. Very special guest for you guys tonight. Five-time All-American. 2014 Pac-12 All-Around Champion. 2014 Gymnast of the Year. 2013 NCAA Regional Vault Champ. Also, number nine out of ten on a 2013 Sports Center. Former University of Utah Ute, Tori Wilson. How are you doing today? Good. Thanks for having me. Um, we're very excited. Well, I know Sasha. I don't. I, I can only speak for myself, but I know Sasha's very, very, very excited to have you on air. He, uh, he's he's quite the fan. We ask hard hitting questions here on Oh, you are. Is it true? Can you confirm or deny that you are a superhero? <laughs> <laughs> only on the weekends. <laughs> I find what you do phenomenal. I think I've watched hundreds and hundreds of athletes live, and I've never seen a more explosive, fun, and athletic athlete as yourself. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. It's um, nice to be remembered still. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you definitely made quite the impact on the uh, University of Utah gymnastics program. I mean, the records that you've you've broken. I mean, uh, we wanted you in sooner, but, you know, it's difficult to interview athletes without going through all the, Mm -hmm. you know, specific regulations and red tape. I know Sasha, he's been trying to get you on for quite a while. Well, I think I talked to you like a year and a half ago, and it took me five meets to get the courage to go talk. And I'm not, I'm not that guy. I'm, I'm not a fanboy, but I'm a fan boy of you. So I was a nervous little boy and I said, Hey, can you do our podcast? And you're like, yeah, I'd love to. Here's my email. Get in touch with me. A year later, I hadn't given the email to Johnny. He's the one that books the show because I was too nervous. And then I finally saw you again. I was like, well, now we've got to do this. So thank you. I've been waiting. <laughs> So tell me, I, I want to start right at the beginning. How, when did you start doing gymnastics? I started when I was about four years old, and it was just kind of um, a way for my parents to get me to get rid of some of the energy I had. I was one of those kids bouncing on the couch and running around. And so it was just one of those things you put your kids in when they're young. And then I ended up really loving it and stuck with it. And um. Never stopped, I guess. So was it something that you kind of took too early? Like, did you just, did you kind of know that, like, this is what you love to do? Or was it just like a natural thing? Or did you have to work really hard at it? Um, Personally, I feel like I've never been one of the talented ones. It was always something I did just because it was fun and I loved it. And I grew to be really passionate about it. But I wasn't very good at it until, um, you know, later towards the end of high school. And I started figuring things out. But it was one of those things that I just did because I liked it. And gymnastics, correct me if I'm wrong here, but it's a very different sport than any other sport because your prime is like 15, right? Mm -hmm, Yeah, it's um, somewhat easier when you're younger, you're little, you have less body weight to throw around. And then after you've been doing it for years and years, it wears down on your body with all the tumbling and, you know. It's a painful sport. Yeah, it it takes a toll on your body. So um, you're definitely at your peak when you're younger. Um, And then, you know, some people are 
really incredible and they can go on for many years afterwards. And that's but. where I think it gets very confusing for me as a someone who watches the sport and who was competitive as an athlete. But you're competing as an 11-year-old girl against girls that want to make the U.S. national team. And you were probably a lot better than you thought yourself to be. So you were probably kind of in that bubble of maybe going to the national team, maybe playing in a world arena. But you're competing at 9, 10 years old. How do you be competitive at that age? Um, I don't know. There's different um, categories, kind of, I guess is the word I'll give it. I mean, there's Junior Olympic, which is the track that I did. And then there's Elite Gymnastics, which is kind of the next step above that does the international meets and are the girls that eventually go on to the Olympics. So um, I was never necessarily an elite gymnast. I just did kind of, um, you know, up to level 10, which is, you know, just the step below elite. Um, but So what's that difference between a level 10 elite gymnast and someone who goes to that Olympic world audience? Um, I think it comes down to difficulty. Um Level 10s can definitely do difficult tricks, but the Elite is many, many difficult tricks packed into the same routine. It's just um, kind of an elevated level of difficulty, and um, the scoring is different as well. You can score a 15 in an Elite meet, and it's based on um, the value of the skills that you do um, and the deductions for like form and everything are still incorporated into it, but... Um, it's more focused on difficulty and amount of skills and what you put together and stuff. So as a super young athlete, is it a physical skill difference? Is it an emotional skill difference? Is it the elite athlete doesn't have fear? Like what, what separates that? I don't know how to put my finger on what separates it. Um, I mean, elite gymnastics definitely has a lot more hours and, um, I don't know if I can explain it to a T since I was an elite gymnast myself, but um, it's just. Um, There's that X factor yeah, when it comes it's to. It's just yeah. more. That's a, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't I, It's not the perfect word for it, but it's just a little bit more. And um, often the elite gymnasts do really, really well in college because it's a little bit um, not less, but an more simplified version of what they're used to. So how did you end up at the University of Utah? Were you like recruited or did you choose to go there? Can you tell me about that? Um, yeah, I was recruited. Um, I first heard about it. My club gymnastics coach, his name was Ed Birch, Gold Cup Gymnastics in Albuquerque. Um, he knew of the program. He knew Greg Marsden and he told me I should look into it, and um, I started getting recruited, and I basically just fell in love with the program, and I knew that's where I wanted to go. And I probably slacked a little bit on looking into other programs, <laughs> but I knew where I wanted to go, so I was focused on that. <laughs> well, you know, when you know, you know. Um, what was it about the program that appealed to you? Was it just their level of winning? Like, what was it? Um, there's a lot of different things. Um, they have incredible facilities, and um, of course, there's no gymnastics meet quite like a Utah gymnastics home meet, you know, with the crowd. I have never been in front of a crowd like that until I came to Utah. 15,000 people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's uh, on another level of um, excitement. I mean, in high school, 
club gymnastics, you know, the meets don't get a lot of fans. It's friends and family that come to watch individual people, but it's nowhere near, you know, the thousands and thousands. So it's fun when people come and appreciate all the years of hard work that you put into the sport. Now, how does that affect you when you're like, you know, playing your perform? How do you say it? You, when you're doing your sport, like, uh, uh, do you take like, do you listen to the crowd? Like, do you do you take that into account when? Like- um, yeah, it definitely goes a little bit both ways. I mean, I remember when I first got here, I was a little nervous about it because, like I said, I'd never been in front of a crowd like that. But um, once you get used to it, I learned to really love it. I mean, you take the energy from the crowd and it encourages you and pushes you and um there's nothing like it you know one of the things that i'm not sure i'll ever understand is how do you compete in front of 15,000 people cuz they're screaming they're yelling there's loud music going on and gymnastics is different cuz there's usually two sporting events going on at the same time so there's different music in one part of the stadium and there's music in the other part and then you got 15,000 people you're wearing a uniform that's basically a bathing suit and you've got 15,000 eyes on you times two. It is a little nerve wracking. I mean, like I said, at first it was, you know, a little nervous feeling about it, but um, it just comes down to learning to stay in your own little bubble. Once you're on the equipment, At least for me, everything just kind of tunes out and you're focused on what you're doing and what you've been practicing. And so you don't really notice what's going around you until you land and you hear the crowd again and they're screaming and cheering. And it's a lot of fun. But um, I think it just you get used to it over the years of competing gymnastics. Um, Even club meets have a lot going on at the same time. And it's just part of um, your growth in the sport and learning how to handle those things. I, I just couldn't do it. Like if I were on a balance beam, which I couldn't do in the first place. <laughs> but if I were trying to do a flip, and because I can't imagine that when you're on a balance beam and you're doing your flips and your jumps and all this, that your peripheral vision doesn't see camera lenses, doesn't see, you know, a really hot guy or a hot girl or a flag going. I mean, I just I don't know how you do it. Um, like I said, to a certain yeah. extent, you do notice that stuff, but. Um, it's so crazy how zoned in you get once you're in your routine and you your training is also, you know, part of staying focused and not noticing what's going on and being distracted around you. But, um, you know, sometimes it's happened to me and a lot of people will mention this. You don't remember the routine you just did. You know, you're so in the zone and so focused like you just did an amazing routine and you don't remember doing it. You know, you watch the video and you're like, oh, it did happen. <laughs> <laughs> Is that what it's like when you get a perfect 10? Like, what's going through your head? Like, what? Um, for me, I my best scores are always when I'm not trying, you know, kind of when you just zone out and do it instead of trying to be perfect. Um, I always did made mistakes or didn't do as well when I tried to be perfect. And so it comes down to trusting your training and just doing it rather than trying to do it. If that makes any sense. <laughs> no, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. Like just let the training kind of take mm-hmm. over. Cause when you think about it, that's, you know, when you can hesitate or something. So yeah, like, wow. Yeah. In football, when they're training and practicing, they often don't hit each other as hard as they can because they don't want to hurt their bodies. When a gymnast is training, are you going full on flips? Are you, 
doing all this stuff because of the impact that you sort of brought up earlier on your hips and knees and other joints. I imagine that you have to be careful in how many repetitions you do. Yeah, there's certainly a balance, um, especially for college gymnastics. Um, everybody's, you know, been in the sport for years. And so the numbers tend to be lower. Um, growing up, when you're learning skills in gymnastics, you have to do numbers again and again and again. But when you're older and you're better at the skills and you're a little more seasoned, you can get away with, you know, doing three really good routines and being done for the day on that particular event. But um there is a balance, you know, sometimes for floor routines, they'll, we'll have a rod floor, which is kind of a softer version of the hard floor mat. And so um, there's ways to have softer landings and practice mixed in with, you know, the hard landings because you have to be ready for the meet. Um, but um, it's a balance of getting softer mats in and easier landings for practice and then all out for the meet. How often do you spend learning how to land and how to fall? Hmm, I don't think you ever really stop learning how to fall and land and stuff. I mean, because um, you can really screw yourself <laughs> yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it definitely starts uh, with the basics when you're younger. I mean, you start with gymnastics, and it's um, less intense skills. You know, smaller things that, and that's where you learn how to fall. And um, so you kind of grow up and continue to get better and knowing how to do that as you do the bigger skills. And, um, you know, not every day is perfect. You have days where you don't make things as well and you fall and it might be a tough day, but um, it's something you figure out through the process. I'm under the impression that gymnasts might be the best athletes in the world. I I think you have to include soccer and swimming. Mm -hmm. What type of training do you do? Do you run? Do you lift weight? Um, there's definitely a mix of everything. Um, in Utah, there would be a lot of, um, spin workouts, like on a spin bike. So you're getting the cardio in, but it's not, um, impacting your your body, you know, um, we'll do some running, but only in the preseason because it wears you down a little bit. Running is kind of hard on your body, um, if we're tumbling and stuff, but, um, mixed in with some weight workouts and, um, no body weight conditioning. I, you've seen videos of pull-ups and leg lifts and different things like that. Um, just kind of a mix of everything. Because you personally and every gymnast, 90% of the ones I see, are absolutely jacked. Like, <laughs> yeah. and your bod- But your bodies look different than a lady soccer player or a volleyball player. It's this weird crossbreed of hyper-flexibility but amazing – thigh strength and shoulder strength and is it just stretching that does that um and diet it's got to be body weight too doing all the body weight exercises i imagine um you know i don't know if i can put my finger on one thing that it is i mean it's a combination of the type of conditioning and um the skills and exercises themselves you know work your body in a certain way where you um build a lot of shoulder muscle from doing bars you know being in handstands and um, you get calf muscles from being on toe on beam and it's just a combination of the separate workouts that you do. And like I said, the skills themselves that build certain muscles up and, um, so how often on average are you like practicing on the bars? Like for like, like how, how often, how long do you do that for? Um, I'd say a typical practice at Utah would be about four hours. 
And so you do maybe 30 minutes of warm-up and stretching and then maybe 45 minutes on each event. And it would vary. You know, some days we'd get stuff done quicker than other days and um, use the whole time allotted for practice or not. You know, it just it comes down to I keep talking about balance. You know, you can't, um, you know, you have um, a variety of different workouts so it doesn't get monotonous because the sport can get a little monotonous if you're not switching it up, you know. You're trying to perfect these routines, but it comes down to doing the same routine again and again. So For years, right? Um, yeah, for the most part. I mean, um, it can change. You can learn new things or add different combinations. Um, growing up through the sport, it certainly changes because you're adding skills and doing bigger things. And um, Once you're in college, they generally tend to stay the same, but um, like I said, you have the freedom to switch things in and out if you want on different years or what not, depending on what you need. So what, what was your favorite event to compete in? I honestly didn't really have a favorite. Um, I like to say it depended on the day. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes um, one event would go better than the other, but I just, I really liked them all. Um, a lot of people don't like beam, but I liked beam. I mean, some days I didn't, if it didn't go well, but um I really liked competing floor. It was fun to interact with the crowd on that event. Um, but my strongest event ended up being vault, so I liked the vault. But, you know, I don't want to forget about bars. I liked bars, too. <laughs> <laughs> when, what, to me, the idea of doing bars is terrifying. <laughs> when, when did it stop becoming scary and start becoming fun? Um, I don't know if it ever really was scary. Really? I mean, it starts, you know, you don't start gymnastics and chuck these big huge skills you know it starts with the little ones you know you're swinging and then you let go and stick it you know or just simple things that you keep building and adding on over the years and so um you know there might be one thing that someone's afraid of but um for the most part in my opinion there's not like an inherent fear there it's just um you know building up to the big stuff that might be scary while you're learning it but um I think that it's a lot of fun once you have it down. <laughs> wow. Are gymnasts the type of people that like roller coasters and jumping out of planes? Like, <laughs> <laughs> I love roller coasters. I don't know if I jump out of a plane. That... You wouldn't skydive? You wouldn't um, somersault out of a plane? <laughs> I don't know. I have mixed feelings. I initially want to say no, <laughs> but if I felt safe enough, maybe. I just can't imagine, you know, actually jumping. I've done that ride at Lagoon where you're like hiked up on a string and then you let go. And that was terrifying. <laughs> Did you do a high dive like in a, those giant Olympic swimming pools? Um, I have been off a high dive. Um, I don't know if it was Olympic sized qualified or whatever the standards are, but um, I feel like a high dive is different than jumping out of a plane. But you're you're getting I mean, I, if you're on the uneven bars. And you're getting ready to do, is it called a dismount, mm-hmm. your final, yeah. to get dismount. to the ground? I mean, I bet you get 12 feet up in there sometimes. That's got to be yeah. quite a rush. Come, like, you feel in your stomach when you come down, right? I mean, I think you're just used to the feeling um, after you're learning You're flipping it in the it. air, Tori. <laughs> I think it, it just yeah. becomes normalized as a gymnast. You know, that's just how it is. Um, I was actually visiting the girls at practice today, and... I was jumping around on the trampoline, and if it's not something you're doing every single day, you lose the air sense a little bit, and it's it was a little scary, you know. I um, it's just interesting how quickly your 
perspective and perception of the space around you changes if you're not flipping around in it all the time. Do you know if like you have a bad dismount? Like, do you know like immediately or do you just know when you hit the ground? Like, you, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, sometimes you'll, you can get surprised with something, but for the most part, um, if something's not going right, then you generally know. And sometimes you can do something about it, but other times you have to just ride it out and see how it goes. But, um, in at the college level, you generally know where you are, and know what's happening at all times. So when you're, I want to come back to your adolescence and training here for a second. There's heightened weight restrictions for young gymnasts, right? Um, not necessarily. I mean, for the most part, you need to have a certain fitness level to be able to do the skills that you're doing. But there, I wouldn't say there's restrictions necessarily. There's no regulation on that sort of thing. Um, some gyms are stricter than others, you know. Um, but you don't – We I've never seen like a five foot ten gymnast <laughs> yeah. or I haven't seen a 170-pound gymnast. You're all very yeah. tiny – you know, and your like compact you would be the term I would use yeah, you know, to describe compact. Yeah, um, I think that comes down to it's um, it's more difficult if you have a lot of extra height and weight and stuff. It's possible, but um, you know, there are some tar- tall girls that you know make it farther through the sport, but um, it's definitely harder to navigate through flips in the air and stuff if there's just more of you going on. So I think. Um, part of it is, um, maybe stunted growth. I don't know, (laughs) Uh, but just the type of body that gymnastics forms you into, uh, tends to be one of the major epidemics we have in this country is the way female bodies are looked at and judged. And then I think there's that other side to it, the pressure that women put on themselves to stay lean, to stay skinny, to stay beautiful, or, you know, that, and it's all subjective and a lot of it's phony, but is there bulimia? Is there eating disorders growing up in gymnastics and cheer? Because I seem, I can't imagine the pressure of having to put on a leotard every day. Um, yeah, I mean, it's definitely a thing, unfortunately. Um, it does, there's a lot of factors that come into that and it just depends on people's individual experiences and the pressures that they feel and, um, you know, I obviously can't talk for everyone in the sport, but, um, it's How did tough. You overcome I mean, it? it's, that, or the pressure to, you know, if you felt you were fat or had to lose weight or, you know, whatever those issues are. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's definitely a fine line. I mean, it's tough. I'm, as you said, you are wearing a leotard in front of 15,000 people. So, um, you want to be able to feel good about yourself and it just comes down to training and eating and, um, finding a balance between it all. What What would you eat on like game day? Like what What would you? Uh, do? Hmm. I didn't have um, like something specific that you know I had to eat this yeah. before this meat. Um, you know I kind of just went by. It. Yeah, yeah. You know I like to have scrambled eggs for breakfast and um, a light lunch of you know a sandwich or something, and then. Um, Dinner was hard if it was a late meet because you wanted to eat to have the energy, but you didn't want to feel weighed down from a big dinner. So yeah. um, at least 
my last year, my teammate and I would always get a Subway sandwich on our way to the gym to get (laughs) ready. (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) I imagine that gymnasts burn an extraordinary amount of calories, probably more so during the off season than maybe in season because you're protecting your bodies a little bit. Can you be a vegetarian and be a gymnast or do you, is it constantly protein, protein, protein? Um, yeah, you can absolutely yeah. be a vegetarian. Um, I have had teammates that have done that, and it's certainly possible. I mean, there are other ways to get protein, and um, gymnastics is different in the sense that you're not trying to bulk up and build a ton of muscle. You're trying to have lean muscle, and so um, you don't need a ton of the protein that you know other athletes might be trying to load up on. I mean, it's certainly important, but there are other ways to get it other than meat products and whatnot. So I, I have a question about kind of the competitive level of gymnastics. Now, when you go out there, are you thinking I got to beat this person or do I just have to do the best that I can do? Um, I mean, everyone has their individual takes on that, but um, it kind of comes back around to what I was saying about trying too hard to be perfect. I mean, if you go in trying to win, um, you're not focusing on the right things. Um, if you go in and focus on doing what you've been practicing, being the best version of you, then you're probably going to do really well and there's a better chance of winning if you do the best that you can do instead of trying to beat someone else. So so what's going through your head when you're you're on the balance beam? You're sitting there, you got 15,000 people. What's going through your head then? Are you just just not thinking and just trying to stay balanced because in my head I'd just be thinking don't fall don't fall don't fall and Sasha would be yelling at me fall fall I mean in an ideal world you're just kind of zoned out doing your thing but beam is a um, special event in the sense that it is so easy to just you know fall off it's four inches wide and so holy cow it is a stressful event um, I know um, people have their struggles with that I you know have certainly fallen off and it's not what you want. But um, if you focus on not falling, you know, don't fall, don't mess us up, then you're focusing on the negative instead yeah. of, you know, focusing on doing your skills individually and doing them well. And um, it's definitely something that, you know, takes constant work. That's interesting. <laughs> it's like focusing on not focusing. Yeah, exactly. I mean, when it comes down to it, the skills themselves aren't necessarily difficult it comes down to um, how well you control your thinking and your thoughts and, um, you know, not psyching yourself out of it. So your last year of competing on a one day on the vault, you score a perfect 10. And then the very next person that comes up is Georgia DeBritz and she gets a perfect 10. <laughs> like in a team concept, that's one of the most amazing, exciting things you can do. But you didn't get mad at her, like, in your head, like, <laughs> the hell, you know? <laughs> no, I mean, especially in college gymnastics, it is such a team-based um, uh, environment and sport that what's good for her is good for the team, too. So um, Georgia was obviously amazing, and so um, she deserved it every bit. So um, it was just a really fun day. I don't uh. – <laughs> I would be so, so competitive. Yeah, I would be so, so competitive. I think that's also what, um, you know, it helps push each other, you know, on the team, you know. Being on the team with someone like Georgia, she was amazing and you want to, you know, live up to that level. And so if everyone's trying to beat each other, then there's the friendly team competition that makes the team even stronger. 
But it's friendly. And it yeah. has to be because this year, Bailey Rose, she's a phenomenal gymnast, right? Mm-hmm. That's fair to say? Yeah, absolutely. And then they've got this freshman that comes off the Olympic team and she's winning everything. You know, she's winning the all around. She's winning individual things because I think there is that difference between you that we were talking about earlier about that elite gymnast. But it doesn't seem like it bothers Bailey. You know, and I know that we're kind of talking about a woman that's not here, but yeah. I, that's one of the things that we've been talking about for years, Johnny, is my love for women's sport because in volleyball, in softball, in gymnastics, the ladies, the athletes are really interested in watching their friends succeed. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure that I see that in men's basketball or men's football. <laughs> I really don't. You know, mm-hmm. occasionally with the football celebration, I think it might be a little bit different. A little bit. But it's... It's not the same, definitely. Yeah, the, like The smiles aren't there. And yeah. I think that... <laughs> Half-hearted fist bump. Yeah. <laughs> totally, totally. Yeah, yeah. Good job, bro. Wish it was me. <laughs> but you get, you never get that, and you don't have teammates like that. Um, I mean, I obviously can't speak for other people, but I think that even if there is, you know, the undertones of wanting to beat someone or if there's jealousy, the team factor always overpowers that. I mean, you're spending so much time with these um, teammates and they're generally friends, you know? Um, so you want the best for your teammate, and it comes back around to um, what's good for them is good for the team, but you're also, um, you know, legitimate friends with this person, usually. And so, um, I don't know, you just want them to do well, and it's fun when everyone does well, and it's just um, like the meet the other night versus UCLA was so electric, you know, everyone was doing amazing, and it was fun to watch. One of the interesting things about the UCLA Lady Red Rocks event, there were three Olympians on that team. Is it healthy for college gymnastics to have Olympians who are basically professional? And you can play college if you don't sign endorsements. So these three athletes turned down a lot of money, probably in the six figures, to stay eligible. Is it good for college I think it's good. I think it helps um, bring attention to the sport and helps with uh, people being aware of it. I mean, I know that something that Greg Marsden has worked on over the years is trying to get people interested in watching gymnastics. And I think that when these big names come from the Olympics that people are aware of and then they come to college gymnastics, they're more interested in finding out what it's all about. You know, I know this person. I saw her on TV. Let's see what she's doing now. Um, So I think it is a good thing, and it um, hypes up the competition, and it, you know, keeps it um, at a high level and entertaining to watch for people. There's two different types of viewership for, and I want to include women's volleyball and women's (laughs) swimming in this too, but there's an arena viewpoint of watching these women who are wearing very tight clothes and, you know, you can see the hips and you can see the chest and you can see the top part of the legs. But then there's a television audience where you've got an $800,000 lens zooming in on you and there's these $7,000 cameras and $5,000 lenses taking still photography of you all. Is that uncomfortable? Is there is there a nervousness of... Um, showing too much of your body um i don't know necessarily i mean you grow up doing the sport and that's what you're used to wearing that's what you're used to competing in and so it's just kind of normal um i don't know 
It's the uniform. Yeah, it's the uniform. I mean, a sweatshirt used to just, it is what it is. It's not um, like you're wearing pants and long sleeves all your life and then coming to college and you have to wear a leotard. It's just, you've always worn a leo since you were little. And so it's just normal, I think, for the gymnasts. And then, um, you know, other people wonder about it. But I don't know if we necessarily think it's odd. See, you I was uh, one of my old girlfriends. We, I was talking to her about the whole issue I had with gymnastics and where do I keep my eyes? Because I'm right on the floor and it was caught, you know, I'm an older guy. I'm in the 30s and it's like, well, where the hell do I keep my eyes? And my lady friend said, Sasha, we're women. This is what we do. Quit sexualizing it. So maybe it's on the men and they're is, – is it more on the men than – um, yeah, maybe I'd say that would be a good um, so I'm just a way pervert. to put it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. <laughs> thinking about it more than I think they are. Yeah, thinking I mean, about I, it. I understand what you're saying, and there certainly could be an aspect to that. But I think um, when it comes down to it, you just got to keep it simple and be like, "Hey, this is what it's easiest to wear when you're doing the sport." You know, you can't have baggy clothes, yeah. baggy things floating around when you're trying to catch the bar, you know, at however many miles per hour, you know, you need to keep it simple as possible. So going back, you said uh, the vault was one of your favorites. Um, yeah. yeah. So why, why did you enjoy that one particularly? Um, I don't know specifically. I mean, I liked all the events, but I think vault, um, throughout my career, something just clicked and I was able to do well at it and, you know, you tend to like things that you're good at. So I think that's just kind of uh, it, what happened. Did it feel like it came easier than other events? or? Um, yeah, I'd say so. I mean, uh, there's different types of gymnasts sort of in the sense, and I was never one of the elegant ones. I was kind of more of the powerhouse, you know, stronger type. Not stronger, but... Um. Yes, you were stronger. <laughs> like I said, I wasn't, I wasn't elegant, you know. It wasn't necessarily pretty when I danced but you know I could tumble and I could vault and you know get some height on things so I think that's where I like to stay in my little has your speed ever been recorded on that sprint to the vault itself um I don't think so um have you ever heard of how fast an average gymnast goes on that I honestly have I have no idea. Yeah, I mean, when I was researching, I was trying to find how fast is a gymnast, you know, because yeah. how, how many it feet is fast. it? Is that uh, catwalk? Um, it, I think 80 feet. 80 feet, yeah. So Something like that, 90. You get a run. Like, they, they, they're going. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you get going on them. <laughs> so do you do wind sprints and all that kind of stuff in part of your training? Or how do you, how do you develop that part of your skill set? Um, well, sometimes in the summer we would do sprint work as kind of a fitness aspect, but when it comes to training for vault, you get your training in by doing vault, you know, um, you get your run figured out. It's not necessarily a speed thing. Um, you know, if you're running faster, it doesn't mean that your vault's going to be better. It's just kind of the tempo that's best for you to get the momentum and the motion that you need. Um, and so it's going to vary for different people. And like I said, it's not necessarily um, the faster, the better. It's just kind of what you need to get going. So you come from a, a program which has a culture of winning, you know, taught by Greg and Megan Mardson. What can you tell us about that? Like what what do they do different or what was something that stood out while you were training with them? Like why like why is this program so successful? You know, I don't know if there's a specific thing to put your finger on to explain that. I mean, um, 
Greg's certainly incredible, and especially with, um, you know, his wife helping with everything. But I I couldn't say. I mean, it's just a combination of different things and, um, you know, built a legacy from scratch. And all the alumni are supportive and everything, you know. Um, we have communication with them, and they pass on wisdom. And I think that a big part of it is the team's just, you know, a big family. And so it just kind of um, – Works really well. You're, you're very comfortable. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. I, I, I can mean, see that. Um, you know, not everyone, uh, not every team has the sort of connection that Utah teams tend to have. Um, I know a lot of other teams might, you know, have clicks or get catty with each other, but that's not necessarily the type of environment that we had, at least when I was on the team. We were always really close. Wow. Your last performance as a Red Rock. You broke an ankle, and you tore your AC, your Achilles tendon. Achilles, yeah. In that same meet, you had a perfect 10. <laughs> a lot of highs and lows in that meet. <laughs> <laughs> and your team won the Pac-12 championship, and you were in the training room when they celebrated. Mm-hmm. Take me back to that day. Um, definitely an emotional day. Um, I had kind of a weird feeling in my Achilles a couple days before. And so I was nervous about that. I kind of had a feeling, and I think deep down I knew that it was going to happen. Did you tell anyone? Yeah, I did tell the trainers and the coaches, and um, we were taking care of it and, you know, doing some treatment on it and stuff. But um, sometimes for Achilles, there's no way to really predict that. I mean, if it's sometimes if it's going to happen, it's going to happen. And, um, you know, it could have been the next week or the week before, you know, it's, you know, you knew it was going out. I kind of felt like it was, I mean, I, like I said, I didn't necessarily know right then was the moment it was going to happen, but, um, I had a feeling and that's never a good feeling, but, um, but you didn't care. You wanted to compete. (laughs) Yeah. Like I was, you know, wrapping up one of the best meets of my life. So there was no way that I wasn't going to do that floor routine, you know? Um, and it's just, you know, a little unfortunate that it turned out the way it did. Because you, your team, and she won't admit to this, but you would have won a national championship had you not been hurt. <laughs> I like to think so. I yeah. mean, you never really know for sure, but um, it was looking that way. I was about six, seven feet away when you fell. It looked to us, my camera guy and myself, that you almost broke your neck on that fall, too. Like, you came real close to landing on your head. Well, the hard part about that situation is that my Achilles tore on the takeoff. And so I didn't have the height that I needed, um, but I had the momentum. You know, you can't just stop doing a double lay. You know, it will just there's a lot of power and motion going into that. So I was in the air um, with one foot to land on. And so I came down and it ended up being um, a Liz Frank fracture. I don't know if you guys necessarily know what that is, but. Um, on my other foot, all the ligaments tore from the bone and dislocated the foot. <laughs> and so got a little bit of a double whammy on that one. You know, they carried me into the training room and they were looking at my Achilles and whatnot. And um, I was like, well, uh, my other foot hurts too. <laughs> <laughs> hey, and it's hey all purple and got a big lump on it. <laughs> so the next day you're in a wheelchair. You're one of the best athletes in the world that can fly and jump. And you're in a wheelchair for eight months. It it was certainly a hard transition. Yeah, yeah I mean, um, the wheelchair part was about 10 weeks. And so um, 
you know, I know a lot of people deal with that on a regular basis. You know, they're in a wheelchair for the rest of your lives, but it's hard to, like you said, go from doing double layouts and flips to, you know, needing help reaching a cereal bowl. (laughs) It was, you know, I um, lived in a three-story condo type thing, and so I had to crawl up the stairs on my knees and, um, you know, took a lot of adjusting, and it was things that, um, you know, I couldn't make permanent changes because I was going to get better, luckily, and um, but it was just really hard to get used to being dependent on other people all the time. You know, I was still in school. I had to have someone drive me to class, and um, I had a fr- or a friend came over and, you know, built a ramp for me to get into my house because um, there were steps leading into my house and um, just a lot of different factors. So after, I imagine that there were several nights of crying or moments of crying. I imagine that there was a continued frustration. What is it in your resolve that allowed you to overcome <clears throat> the injury? You were telling me before we started that you just ran a half marathon mm-hmm. two years later. Um, I had an incredible support system. I mean, um, as the team and the staff, you know, the doctors, everyone was taking care of me. But I really learned um, just how good of friends that I had. Um, you know, my, I don't have family here. And so it was my friends taking me to class and carrying me up the stairs and, you know, helping me do everything. And I um, just appreciate that so much. I mean, it comes down to um, the environment and the people here in Utah. I mean, the staff certainly cares about the athletes. And um, I received a lot, a lot of letters and cards and messages from people, you know, wishing me the best. And it was really heartwarming and touching. And so, I think that it was other people that helped me get through that. Did you ever go from the couch to the refrigerator walking on your hands? <laughs> I've been wondering about this. Um, during that time, um, no, I had two big heavy boots uh, on my feet. And so um, the weight proportion was a little different than I was used to. But, uh, you know, I would scooch around. So. <laughs> We were talking about that one day at a camera. We were like, I bet she walked from the couch. That's a bummer you didn't do that. <laughs> I wish I could say that I did, but, you know, I just uh, sucked it up, I guess. But <laughs> So um, before we wrap this up, uh, I just have one more question. For all the people out there that are uh, trying to, you know, do what you've done and, you know, get and excel in gymnastics, do you have any advice for anyone that's kind of starting out or maybe something that you wish you had known when you had started out? Well, I would say um, that if you really love it, you need to stick with it. Um, Gymnastics is one of those sports that isn't always a perfect day. You know, you have to go through the hard days to have the good days. But I think that it's definitely um, worth it when you do get through those bad days. Um, I think that it teaches you so much. Other than the physical aspect, you get a lot of characteristics like commitment and um, hardworking and teamwork and that kind of stuff. So I think that what you get out of it is worth all the hard work. I imagine that we'll probably have a handful of young gymnasts that find this episode. Are there any techniques for uh, preserving your body like icing or hot tubbing or things that you did on a daily basis? Um, I don't know if that stuff was necessarily daily. I mean... Um, I think that keeping your health up, you know, eating correctly and, um, you know, trusting your training and not missing practices all the time certainly helps. I mean, if you 
are doing your workouts every day and you stick with it, then you will get better. But if you're, you know, missing a day, um, a week to do this and that, then it becomes a little bit harder. So I think it's important to stay committed and, you know, trust in your training with that sort of thing. And consistency, kind of yeah, like what you mentioned before. Yeah, consistency is key. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and you can't have a party lifestyle doing the type of gymnastics you did, can you? Like you can't go to the clubs every weekend and drink and all this kind of stuff? Um, it certainly wouldn't help. No, yeah. I mean, um, you do have opportunities to you know, do recreational things, but, um, always got to keep in mind what's best for your body and what's best for the sport. Spoken like a true athlete. (laughs) Last thing I want to get to, and I I think there's a giant elephant over gymnastics right now. And I kind of maybe do have you do a PSA on this, but there's a, the Associated Press has, uh, really been investigating sexual abuse and scandals by coaches and doctors on female gymnasts. What should a young athlete do if there's something going on by a coach or a doctor or someone? Um, It's certainly shocking all the things that are coming out right now. But I think that if anyone um, finds themselves in a situation that seems odd or they're not comfortable with, um, they need to tell someone, you know, like a parent or a trusted friend or someone that can actually do something and help you and make a difference in the situation. Because it's hard when the coaches are coaches are someone you respect and a figure that, you know, essentially has power over you. So it, um, it's certainly a scary situation if someone finds themselves in that. But I think the important part is to, you know, speak up about it. And if there's something going on, you're not a slut, you're not a whore. There's no right for an adult to ever touch you. So if there is that issue going on, Tell someone, no one's going to judge you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think um, gymnastics is um, tough because the coaches do a lot of spotting. And, Mm. you know, it is a hands-on experience learning skills and whatnot. But there's always a line. And I think if you're uncomfortable, you'll know exactly where the line is. And so um, you got to speak up about it. (laughs) Well, as someone that got to broadcast with you for four years, you're an absolute role model to me. And... Thank you. Your work ethic is inspiring. So thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. I appreciate talking to you guys. Yeah, thank you, Tori. Thank you uh, for everything that you did for the University of Utah. You know, as as fellow Utes, you know, we we appreciate you. I just want you to know that. Well, thank you. (laughs) That means a lot to me. (laughs) I see trees of green, red roses too. I see them bloom for me and you And I think to myself What a wonderful world I see skies of blue And clouds of white Bright blessed days, the dark sacred night, and I think to myself.